Good morning. I, uh, I want to make a confession before I start this sermon. I, uh, it's probably been years since I had such a tough time writing a sermon. I wrote it, and then yesterday morning I worked on it again and wasn't happy, and then last night I worked on it again and wasn't happy, and then I got up at midnight and worked on it from midnight to 2 this morning. I, I can't remember when it was this hard to write a sermon. And then this morning, it was hard to preach. It just laid there this morning. I, I, uh, I, heard, I heard a cricket chirping, and uh, somebody dropped a dime in the back, and I heard it. Uh, that's quiet, you know. So Anyway, pray for me this morning, okay? We're looking today at John chapter 6. Verses 16 through 21. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waves grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. That's awful big of them. They were willing to take Jesus into the boat. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. This miracle is recorded in three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John. Luke doesn't have it. And, of course, when you have three eyewitness testimonies, they all emphasize something different. And so I'm going to be this morning combining all three of uh, the testimonies about what happened that night on the lake. All of them agree that Jesus told them, get in the boat and sail for Capernaum. And all of them agreed that when, after they got on that boat, they sailed out to the lake and it got dark. And then it says after it got dark, it said a vicious storm came up. Now, uh, Jesus didn't go with them. And Mark and Matthew, not John, that from the text today, they tell us why. He said for two reasons he didn't go with them. One, he stayed behind to dismiss the crowd, the ten or 20,000 people he had just fed. Remember the feeding of the 5,000? And he stayed there to tell them, you're fed now, go home. You're not going to make me king. I'm not going to destroy Rome for you. Get on home. Then the second thing is he stayed behind and he went up to the mountain to pray. He needed to spend time with his father. And while he was up there praying, it says that they rode three or four miles. Uh, rode, yeah, and, and, and which, if you understand that, the Sea of Galilee is seven and a half miles wide and 17 miles long, and that meant that the disciples were exactly dead center in the Sea of Galilee. They were as far from the safety as, of land as you could get. And then the storm hits, right at the worst possible moment as far as the disciples are concerned. It says the disciples were striving, they were straining, but the wind and the waves were winning, despite the fact that they were experienced sailors, despite the fact they were not amateurs at this. Matthew says something interesting here. It said uh, that Jesus saw the disciples in that boat. Now you have to remember that when it said that, Jesus is probably four miles away. It is dead dark. There are storm clouds everywhere. 
No one can see that far. No one can see in the dark like that. No one can see through that storm. It says Jesus saw them. I love that. It's the same thing that happened with Nathaniel. Remember when Jesus called Nathaniel and Jesus looked at Nathaniel and said, Behold a Jew without guile? And Matthew goes, How do you know me? What are you talking about? And he said, When you are under the fig tree, I saw you. When you were utterly alone, when you thought no one could hear you, no one could see you, I saw you. It's the same way that happens here. Jesus is on a mountain. They're out in the middle of the ocean, but Jesus sees them. And then Matthew says this. Just when the seas were the darkest, the night was the darkest and the seas were the roughest, Jesus comes walking out to them. You know, they, it, and, and I love it. It says, he came walking out to them just before dawn. They say it's the darkest before the dawn. Some of us old timers who have followed the Lord for a long time see a pattern here. Often you will not see Jesus until you're in the storm and it's dawn and things look bad. When things are often the worst, that's when Jesus becomes the clearest. Right when the disciples need a miracle... Here comes one walking towards them. Everybody wants a miracle, don't they? We just don't want to be in situations where we need a miracle. Everybody is thrilled when someone's healed of cancer, but everybody ain't thrilled to get cancer. So many of us go, I, we, we look at Jesus and we go, I know how to sail. I know how to navigate the seas of life. And we do until it gets dark and the storms come. I have no doubt that some of you are in a storm this morning, and shore seems a long way off. And your, bo your boat isn't handling it well. It's taking, you know, it's taking on water. And if you want to know what kind of shape you're in, fear will tell you just how far from shore your boat is, and fear will tell you how big the waves are, and depression and despair will tell you just how much water you've taken on in the boat and you feel like you're drowning. For some this morning... It's a dark, stormy night. But the good news this morning is that Jesus works the night shift. He sees us. He sees us in the dark, and he shows up. He shows up in the most unlikely of places, in the most likely of ways. The good news this morning is if Jesus sends you out there, he is not going to let you drown. At this point, the story gets a little more interesting. It says that when Jesus showed up walking on the waves... It said the disciples didn't recognize him. They weren't expecting to meet him out there. Matthew, you know, says, and, and, and John says, that they thought Jesus was a ghost, some malevolent spirit coming to finish them off. They screamed like teenage girls in a Freddy Krueger movie. Do you know who Freddy Krueger? Uh, it's a heart. He's got the longest fingernails you'll ever see. Anyway. And they scream. And Jesus had to say, calm down, you big sissies, it's me. <laughs> How often does Jesus show up and we miss him? We think it's a ghost. We think it's a coincidence. We think we just got lucky. How many times are we in the storm and in the night and it never occurs to us to look for Jesus right next to us? He's right there. Only Matthew at this point records what happened next. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And Jesus said, come. 
And Peter got out and walked on water and toward Jesus. You know, we don't give Peter enough credit sometimes. We, we keep talking about his mistakes. But before we get to the rest of Peter's short walk with Jesus, let's not forget that in the entire history of Scripture and in the entire history of humanity, P Peter is only one of two people who actually walked on water. Not Moses. Moses didn't walk. He walked between water. He didn't walk on it. Not Elijah, not David, not Paul, not even John who wrote this. Only Peter and Jesus ever walked on water. Why? Because Peter asked Jesus if he could be where Jesus was. And Jesus was walking on the waves. If you hang around Jesus long enough and close enough, I have really surprising news for some of you. You are going to walk on water. You won't even have to ask to walk on water. You'll just do it. You will get to see the miraculous. If you walk with Jesus in the Spirit, it is almost unavoidable for miracles to not happen. You will follow Jesus, and when you do what he says, you will see yourself rise above all kinds of waves, all kinds of problems. You will see the unexplainable, except that Jesus do it, did it. You know, I, I've started... Uh, God has called me this fall to intercessory prayer. I've always had a, a, a close walk with the Lord, but this time he's called me to intercessory prayer, and I started in September. And right now I have two notebook-sized pages full of the prayers that God has answered. I have seen miracles. I have seen the Lord move. I see miracles sitting here today. There's Bart sitting over there. Bart has stage 4 cancer and guess what? He's not tired. He's not in pain. He's just moving on. I think that's a miracle. <laughs> and not only will you get to see miracles, you'll get to be a part of miracles. If you walk with the Lord, get ready for water walking. But as John Ortberg says aptly, if you want to walk on water, you have to get out of the boat. You know? And the big problem is, is we like our boats. Most of us dedicate our lives to having bigger and nicer boats. We like comfort. We like security. We like boat living. We don't want to leave it. And if you don't think most of us are addicted to comfort, I'll, I'll give you a little experiment to do at home today. Don't tell your kids or your spouse. I'm not. That's okay. <laughs> don't tell your kids or your spouse but get the remote control and hide it and watch the panic that sweeps through the room. I know when I can't find the remote control of this little surge of adrenaline flow, flows through me, I might have to get up and walk eight or ten feet if that remote is gone. I might have to push buttons at the set <laughs> repeatedly. I might actually get some unwanted exercise. I hate exercise. That's why I'm a golfer. <laughs> But there's more bad news. If the boat's taken in water in the storm, you're not really safe in the boat either. People get hurt in the boat all the time. People, you know, that people at home fall down the steps. They cut themselves chopping vegetables. They slip in the shower. The Lord spared Kim and I a few years back. Someone, you know, we, we ran a gas pipe from our house to the, to the apartment. We changed furnaces and, of course, UGI comes out to inspect it. And when they went down into our basement, they found that the pipe that led from the furnace to our chimney had a great big hole in it. And for God knows how long, our home was filling with carbon monoxide, which can kill you, and you don't know it's killing you. Yeah. 
Kim could have died washing the clothes. That's a sorry epitaph on a tombstone. She died washing. Okay. <laughs> Folks, safety is an illusion. Life is a risky business, whether you get in or get out of the boat. And faith is a risking business. We must take risks to follow Jesus. We must get out of the boat. Because guess what? Jesus didn't come to this world and was crucified for us so that we could live a safe existence. He died to transform us and make us dangerous to the powers and principalities in hell. He came so that we could walk on water with him. He came so that we could overcome the storms of our life. Do you know what Jesus' goal is for your life? It is to be with him as he changes you and I into magnificent people. God's goal for us and for you is Christ-like magnificence. He wants you to have his character, his heart, his love, his joy, his life being reproduced in your soul. And usually it doesn't happen in the boat. It happens with Jesus on the waves. Getting us out of the boat in a storm is God's general method for growing us. You know, as much as I am a proponent of church, we don't grow best listening to sermons. Even one this lousy. <laughs> and we don't grow best reading a really good book by a really good author. And we don't even grow best in small groups, although I endorse all of those things, and all of those things are, I think, really important. So come back and listen to more sermons. But, but we don't grow best there. We grow best when God puts us in places where we have to grow in trust and dependency on him. That's when we grow. There was a True story. A frightened woman was on the Titanic while it was sinking. And she found a place in a lifeboat, which was really hard. A lot of people drowned because they didn't have enough lifeboats. And they were going to lower it into the frigid waters of the North Atlantic that night in 1912 when the woman suddenly thought of something she needed. She asked if she could return did she have time to get back to her cabin? She was told, you got three minutes, and if you don't get back by then, we are leaving without you. The woman back, ran back across the deck, which was already slanted at a dangerous angle. She ran across the casino. And that's an interesting, when she ran across the casino, there was all kinds of money that had flown everywhere, and nobody cared. She reached her cabin. And there in her cabin was a jewelry box which contained her diamond rings and expensive bracelets, her necklaces and other priceless jewelry. But then suddenly her eyes fell on another box, a box which contained apples and three small oranges. She could only take one box back to the lifeboat, and the clock was ticking. Which would she choose? Which should be her priority? She chose the apples and the oranges. She pushed the jewel box aside and ran back holding the apples and holding the oranges into the lifeboat and got in because she was going, she was thinking, you know, we don't know how long we'll be on this ocean. 
What does it matter if I have on a diamond ring before I drown? What does it matter if I have on a ruby necklace before we starve? Fascinating, isn't it? 30 minutes before, that woman would have never chosen a box of fruit over even her smallest diamond. But in that life and death situation, suddenly her perspective was changed. She had to look at things a new way. She had to develop a new measuring value, a new way of deciding what was important. There's nothing like being on the Titanic when it's going down to help you see what your real priorities are. When I'm in a storm and sinking, I learn truths about God and myself that I would never learn otherwise. Because, folks, we are molded in the fire. We are not molded on the lazy boy. That's why I don't own a lazy boy. I'm taking a stand. Matthew says that what Peter was doing worked just fine. It says, until he took his eyes off Jesus. It says he saw the wind, its velocity, its power. He saw the waves, and he sank. Peter sank. But I want to, again, I, I, I want to give Peter some credit. At least he got out of the boat. And even if he walked on the water for only 30 seconds, who else can make that claim? Peter took a risk. And like all risks, that makes every one of us vulnerable to failure. Peter that day, that night, both succeeded and failed. How human of him. No one can follow Christ without taking risks. And that means we must be open to failure, mistakes, embarrassments, like first service sermons. We must consider the possibility of sinking because everybody fails pastor said he knew a musician, a drummer named Kent. And he said that Kent told him this, that he didn't realize before. He said, all musicians are torn between the desire for perfection and the demands of reality. They would like to know before they sing that a note, that their singing will be pitch perfect. They would like to know before they hit the drum that the beat will fall in perfect rhythm. He says, but musicians are thwarted by reality. There are no guarantees for the perfection of their peace. In fact, to the contrary, there is the guarantee of imperfection. Kent told him, his pastor, he said, No one has ever sung an entire song on perfect pitch. We may not be able to hear it, but even if it's just a thousandth of a note off that we would never hear, it's not perfect. And he said, No one has ever struck a drum in perfect time, even if they're a great drummer, that somewhere in that song they may be thousands of a second off. So Kent has a saying that reminds him of the need to actually play a note in the face of potential imperfection. He and his band say, when they get paralyzed by perfection, they say, you have to put it somewhere. You have to put it somewhere. You've got to hit the note anyway. You've got to open your mouth and sing anyway you got to take the first step to something anyway. Because if you refuse to sing a word or play a note, you, until you're certain of perfection, you will never hear the music. 
If you don't want to go to the grave with all your music in you, you're going to have to take a shot this morning. You're going to have to roll the dice this morning. You're going to have to accept limitations and uncertainty and risks and mistakes. You have to put it somewhere. Peter got out of the boat. At least he did that. He put it somewhere. And he went for the walk of his life. I think our refusal to fail is what stops more obedience and squelches more gifts that God has given the body of Christ than anything else. Failure, my friends, here's the good news. Jesus can easily work with failure. It's the fear that paralyzes us and causes us to sit in the boat and do nothing. That's what Jesus has a hard time working with. Do not live under the tyranny of perfectionism. Because I'm going to tell you, there's two things I want you to remember in this sermon, and here's one of them. Jesus is not after perfectionism. He's not after the perfect. Jesus is after obedience, not perfection. That's really good. <laughs> that, okay. That's, that's one thing I want you to remember. And besides that, failure is indispensable to human growth. I always learn more when I fail. I learn more about myself, more about the ways of the Spirit, more about life. And especially, especially, I learn more about Jesus. I learn, once again, that Christ is patient and kind with his children. I learn once again that I am saved by grace and always saved by grace, not by works. And it draws me closer to him. I learned that when I try success or failure, I grow in grace, even during mistakes, sometimes especially during mistakes. Sir Edmund Hillary was the first man to climb Mount Everest. He tried a number of times. He failed a number of times. And after he failed, one day he stood at the foot of that mountain and he shook his fist at Mount Everest. And he said, I'll defeat you yet. Because you're as big as you're going to get, and I'm still growing. Hillary failed, but every time he failed, he learned. And every time he learned, he grew. And then he went through it again, rinse and repeat. That's a washing illusion. Uh, Everest was as big as ever. But Edmund Hillary kept getting bigger and bigger until he conquered Everest. That's God's goal to make you bigger and bigger until you can walk on waves, until you can get through up to the top of mountains so that you can endure the storms of life. That is his goal. So let me ask you this morning, who is your master, fear or Jesus? Comfort or Jesus? And I need to say this, fear, real fear, the kind that is built into us instinctually, that fear, no matter how spiritual you get, never goes away. Christ will, if you follow him, he'll take you into new territories, new experiences, new growth, new seas if you obey him. And guess what? You will be afraid almost every time he does. When I was called to preach, it scared my liver out. When I was called north of the Mason-Dixon line, it scared my liver out. 
When I came to this church, it scared my liver out. When God said, you are going to be a diverse church, it scared my liver out. But I've been delivered. Oh. Oh. That just came to me. That was a Holy Ghost joke. <laughs> wow. You, when I don't laugh, you, I, that means I was surprised too. It's a, the disciples were scared out in that boat. Peter was scared out on the water. I want you to know it's okay to be afraid. Just don't let fear have the final word. I think that's what Jesus meant by fear not. The feeling of fear is unavoidable. But giving in to fear is something entirely different. You can be afraid and still obey Jesus. Hallelujah. You can be afraid and still walk on the water. Hallelujah. Don't let fear cause you to see the wind and not Jesus. Don't let fear hold you back. You know, that's something maybe all of us ought to pray at some point and let the Spirit search us. What would you do if you were not afraid to do it? What would you do for Jesus? What gift would you use? What phone call would you? What would you do if you weren't afraid to get out of the boat? You must deal with fear if you want to see what God can do in and through your life. Jesus sent the disciples on a trip across the Sea of Galilee. He put them in a place where when he was done, their faith would take a huge leap forward. Now, please hear me on this. There are times when God protects us. But there are times when God throws us right in the middle of the storm. Do you understand what I'm saying? I have a praise. God protected the Dalton cars for the first time in decades, a week ago. You know, we, I've had four cars totaled while parked, and I wasn't in them. I challenge anyone to beat that. And last week, there was a car coming down Derry Street, and the driver of the car fell asleep, and his car was headed right for our parked Hondas. But, Bruce Greer, who attends this church, is a deacon in this church. He lives two doors down, and his car was parked on Derry Street. And this guy rammed into the rear of Bruce's car and totaled it. Praise the Lord, no one was hurt. But I'm praising the Lord this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah, God is good. Now, Bruce was a good sport about it. He said his car was a Christian car. It threw itself in front of that other car to protect my car. <laughs> I praise the Lord. He had that attitude because I don't care what he said. I'm still praising the Lord. <laughs> By the way, I think the reason our Hondas, this is the first time we've owned Hondas, I think the reason our Hondas were spared is because Jesus prefers Hondas. I have scripture. I have scripture. <laughs> Let me quote it to you. It said that on the day of Pentecost, all the disciples were gathered in one accord. That. And Honda makes the accord. Praise the Lord. Oh, 
My wife, my wife and Linda are yelling, get going. <laughs> but sometimes God does not protect us from danger. Sometimes he sends us right into the middle of it. He sends us into the middle of the Sea of Galilee. He sends us in the dark, and he sends us when, when, a, when a storm is raging. And you know why he does that? Because he wants us to not only praise him for the protection, but he wants us to learn to depend on him in the middle of the storm. Sometimes he says, I will spare you from this, but sometimes he says, I will meet you in the middle of this. Sometimes he says, I will deliver you from this, but sometimes he says, I will meet you on the waves in the storm. That God does not have just one trick up his sleeve. There will be times when the only thing we can do is stop flailing our arms and our, our oars like, like they, the disciples did in the boat and cry out to Jesus because there will be no other answer. There will be no one or nothing around that can help us out. I found this, this illustration. There was a chaplain, and this was during World War II, and it was in the Pacific, in islands south of Japan. And it was a Sunday, and it was monsoon season. And it was time for worship, and it was raining so badly, so hard, that people could hardly see 10 feet in front of them. But despite the rainstorms, about 100 men gathered in the mud and the mire. These soldiers gathered for worship. And the chaplain shouted over the noise of the rain and the wind, Do you want to have a worship service today? And to a man, every one of them said yes. So they hummed some familiar hymns because they didn't have hymn books. They recited the familiar words of the 23rd Psalm because they had no Bible. The chaplain said, the rain was beating down on my steel helmet and the water was coming off and I could hardly see them. And he said, but I asked him one more question. Do you want me to preach? And standing in the rain, in ankle-deep mud, the men answered back, preach, please preach. So for 20 minutes, the chaplain preached to those men and they listened intently. The chaplain contrasted that to when he came back and he took a church where people could sit in cushioned pews and air-conditioned comfort, and where people often who just live blocks away go, it's too hard to get up and go to church. <laughs> and he said this, why is it that a worship service over there in the mud and the mire means more than worship in a beautiful church sanctuary? The answer is simple. Those men on that rain-soaked island knew that they were facing the possibility of death at any moment, and they needed to be reminded that the God they put their faith in and trusted their lives to was bigger than the world, was bigger than the war, was bigger than death itself. You know, I find prayers get more intense when you're in a foxhole than when you're in a cathedral. There's a world of difference between calling out to Christ in desperation in the middle of the night during a storm and sitting at home on your lazy boy with a remote control on your lap. We are in a war whether we like it or not. And the storms will come. They will come. Whether you're prepared for them or not, the storms will come. And there will be times when all we can do is stop flailing and say, help me, Jesus. But there is one, one blessing when the storms come. When it's that dark and it's that out of control and you know you can do nothing about it. 
often that is the time you see Jesus most clearly. And he will not let you drown. Sometimes your job is to cry out. Because that's all you can do. And let Jesus grab a hold of you. And I got news for you. I know some people are depressed here today and struggling here today. I got news for you. Even if you don't know where to grab hold of Jesus, Jesus has grabbed hold of you. And he's not letting you go this morning. And here's the second thing I want you to remember from this sermon. I ripped this off from someone. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> but he said this. I put it in my own words. Immature faith is when we let circumstances come between us and Jesus. Mature faith is when we let Jesus come between us and circumstances. It's what are you looking at in the storm? You looking at the waves or are you looking at Jesus? Are, do, are circumstances the determining factor or is Jesus the determining factor? I got good news. Jesus is always a determining factor. What are you looking at this morning? The wind and waves or the Lord of the wind and waves who's walking on one of them? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is so much better than the first. Never mind. <laughs> I'm getting a hairy eyeball. Anyway, I want the worship team to come forward. I want the intercessors to come forward. Because like I said, like I said before, there are, I have absolutely no doubt that there are people in a storm this morning. That there are some people who feel like they're drowning this morning. That there are some people who they, 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 they went... They messed up again with their addiction, and now it seems like nobody wants anything to do with them. There are people this morning who are short on rent, and they've borrowed from everywhere they can borrow. There are people in the, in the night in a storm. And we, you know, we will pray for you. If you want to, you can get people around you to pray for you. But let's stand and worship the Lord and praise Him that no, in good times and bad... He's coming. No matter what the circumstances, He is in control if you'll let Him be. Let us worship and let us pray for each other. This is the